Well, I'm going to jump right in this morning because I do recognize it's Father's Day and a lot of people have things that they're doing afterwards, but we want to just jump in. Um, how many of you, just curious, because I'm going to share something I have shared before, but um, I feel like I need to share it again. How many of you heard, how many of you were here when I preached at the last conference in the morning session? I'm going to guess it's not too many. Okay, cool. I shared something that I've not shared with the whole church, and I feel like God wants me to go to it. And um, <laughs> we got, this is going to be a fun start. So uh, one of the things that, <laughs> you're going to know why I'm laughing in a minute. And he gave me the okay to say this. So the very first thing in my sermon is talking about this thing called normative rule. I don't know how many of you have heard the, the idea of this, this, this thing called normative rule, but basically it's a baseline for what's considered normal. Okay? Now, my example that I was going to use is that how many understand, like, to, to best express this is a normative rule would be like something like a zipper on a pair of pants. If the zipper's where it's supposed to be, everything is fine. <laughs> Nobody cares, right? But then when someone walks in and the zipper's down, everything gets awkward. When Victor transitioned, his zipper was down. And, and, and I went over to him. I said, Victor, I said, you just made this really hard for me to start my... He's like, dude, go for it. Go for it. So, so for those of you that caught that, that's Victor and his personality. He's like, go for it. But, but normative rule means when something's in its right place, nothing... It, it's normal. But when sometimes things shift the slightest bit, it disrupts what's normal. I think that sometimes that we, when we consider uh, reaching culture and touching our city, we, we, we sometimes come in with these ideas like, what can we do that's so just huge? Sometimes it's the smallest shifts that change everything. It's just the smallest shifts that change things. And when something shifts, it becomes what is called matter out of place. So you've got normative rule, which is a baseline for normal. And then when something slightly shifts a little bit, it becomes matter out of place and it disrupts things. It can be the smallest thing. How many of you know when you're going down the highway and things are working right and people are driving? It's normative rule. It's you're cruising. And then there's a car that is on the side of the road and everything begins to be matter out of place. It slows down. The other side slows down. Everybody's looking. It could be nothing. And that one little vehicle on the side of the road threw things out of place. So those of you that live around here know what I'm talking about. You're like waiting for the construction. It's like, we've been in traffic, and it was just that, that little car over there. It was matter out of place, and it messed with the normative rule. It, but here's the thing. When that happens, it can affect a lot of people. And so one of the things I want to talk about this morning is with the American church, I believe that we do have some normative rules. I do believe that we have some things that we are perceived a certain way in the community that sometimes isn't healthy. Um, I'm always really careful not to talk about the negative because I don't want to get up and preach on the negative, but I have to lay a little context before I jump into where I'm going. Sometimes for me, People can be pretty negative about the church, that whether they went to the church, whether they don't go to the church, whether they've been hurt by the church, sometimes people can just be pretty negative. And sometimes people have a right to have some problems with some of the things they've seen from the church because we haven't always represented well. Okay. And so a lot of people, 
uh, often I don't even tell everybody I'm a pastor because as soon as I do, everything begins to shift the relationship. I've, I've had people that I've known for I'm, 10 years that they never knew I was a pastor, and the moment they did, everything shifted. And I was like, all right, we have 10 years of relationship now. We don't have to do that. But they have perceptions, and one of the perceptions that has happened with the church is that often we are looked at as a consumer with people opposed to a supplier for people. For example, people think, well, if I go there, I have to give and I have to do this. And, and don't get me wrong. How many know if you're part of a family, there is an involvement that we need to do. But from many times from the outsider's perspective, they see us as the great consumer. When we're actually called to be on earth as it is in heaven, we're called to be the great supplier. We're called to be a place where on heaven we can release heaven into earth. You know what I'm talking about. Mm, help me out a little bit this morning. Shake your head, give me an amen. Anything would help me. So, so <laughs> thank you. And so it says, on earth as it is in heaven, we are called to be a gateway on earth. That's why this place is called the gates. The Bible talks about, oh, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and let the king of glory come in. And so our commissioning, our job is to actually release heaven on earth which is the mindset of a supplier, not a consumer. When we begin to be known for this, it, it can make things hard. But sometimes some of the smallest shifts in how we do things will make matter out of place. And it will begin to shift things in our culture. And I'm going to take you through one story, and I think we're going to get through this pretty quick. But... Um, I think our great example is obviously Jesus. Matthew 20, 28. It says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's our, great, that's our example. He came to serve. How much would things change if community just began to know the church as a place that serves them? I know I'm going, really, this is not a Father's Day. Like, this is not very Father's day -y. Well, it's about the Father. What would it look like if we began to be known? And, and when I say as a people, I'm not putting it, uh, churches are great at outreach and all that, but I think that can even be harmful if the only time you serve is when your church puts together an opportunity for you to do it. You have to be able to serve just in your DNA. That's who you are as a believer. I'm constantly looking for opportunities especially with people in the community just to serve not to not to put together a, a full event to do it no for me personally just to serve I want to be known as the guy that comes to the restaurant that doesn't come and just demand he's a kind person because I'm telling you waiters and waitresses don't know the church for being great tippers anybody that's done this around here knows what I'm talking about my wife did it for many years when she was coming out of high school and it was she's like honestly I didn't want to work Sundays because the groups that came in after church were the hardest to work with and gave us the least but what would it look like if everybody wanted to work on a Sunday because something's happening and all these church people come in on a Sunday and they come together they're easy they're kind and they tip well is this too real? I mean, is this like, like too just like real, real stuff? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm going to give you some really great spiritual principles in a minute, but these are the ways that we can show it, the simple things. 
how to become a supplier, how to be a person that gives. And these things will change culture. I know it doesn't sound like it's a big disruption in culture, but it is. It is. I've sat in places, I've had conversations with people that when they do find out I'm a pastor, one of the first things they hear is like, I would have never thought you're a pastor. I'm like, well, that's good, I guess. <laughs> I finally just asked. I've heard it so many times, and I thought I want to be like weird and ask why. But someone said it that I knew pretty well, and she'd been cutting my hair for a while, and she's, someone else found out. I'm like, can I just ask you, why would you say that? Right? And she's like, um, well, you're nice. I was like, whoa, this is going downhill from here. If you don't associate pastors with being nice, she said, well, you're nice. And she listed off a few other things, and, and, and some of them were just about just connecting. She felt like she could connect and be honest, and there was no agenda. It was the heart behind it all without giving out stuff. But it began to shift things, began to shift perceptions. I didn't come in to get my hair cut with an agenda to see revival at the hairstylist. Now, there can be revival at the hairstylist, but that's not why I came in. I didn't come in to, like, watch people fall out in the spirit. I came in to get my hair cut, and I'm going to be like Jesus while I get my hair cut. And all of a sudden, people begin to notice things. I preach, I, I, I'm thinking about starting a YouTube channel on, like, what is it like just to be a normal Christian? Just mess people up. Like, like what did Jesus look like? Because he was the definition of normal. Because he was the first one that walked this out. So then he is, our, he is our normal. And so what would it look like? What would it look like when we begin to serve? And I, and I get the privilege of talking to so many champions in the faith every Sunday and people with these amazing words over their life. People come in all the time and they come up to me and, and they're like, I've got all these prophetic words like, you know, Bill Johnson's prophesied over me, and Sean Bowles has prophesied over me, and Todd White's prophesied over me, and this person's prophesied. I'm like, great, who are you serving? What are you doing? Because the Son of Man came to serve, right? Not be served. And the question is this, because I meet people with dreams, and how many of you know it is okay to have big dreams? Anyone that tells you it's not, you're in trouble. How can you represent a big God if you don't have big dreams? So it's okay to have big dreams. I, I don't ever want to crush people's dreams. But sometimes you stepping into the fullness of your dream often is connected to you being able to serve someone else's dream in the process. Are you willing to serve the same people before they give their life to Jesus? This will change everything. Are you willing to serve people before they give their life to him? You are surrounded day in, day out, everywhere you go, with people with dreams. You go to that grocery store, I'm telling you, they've had dreams, people that are working there. You go anywhere, you go to the mall, you go to a store, anywhere, they have dreams. You're surrounded by people with dreams. But can we serve them even before they come to our church? Before they give their life to Jesus. <laughs> Genesis. Let's give you some scriptures so you feel like it's legal. <laughs> Genesis 37. You guys still with me? 
You guys can't be tired. Listen, I hiked like six miles in the mountains yesterday, and I'm bragging for this one moment because that doesn't happen often. And I'm here, all right? We're going, so the guys got to stay with me. Genesis chapter uh, 37, and we're going to start in verse... Oh, that's not right. Well, that's going to make a problem. Let's see here. Maybe I'm off a little bit. Maybe it's Exodus. Oh, it's because I'm in Exodus. <laughs> Try again. There it is. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. And it says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Didn't sound like he had a very good starting point, huh? And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my, she- my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us and they hated him all the more because of this dream and what he had said then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers listen he said I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me and when he told his father as well as his brothers his father rebuked him and said what is this dream you had will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you his brothers were jealous of him everybody say jealous but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, this is interesting because here's, here's Joseph, and he's having these amazing dreams. Now, it would be one thing if Joseph came to him and told them to bow down. You know what I'm saying? But he had a dream. If my son came up to me and said, hey, Dad, I had a dream that I'm going to be the president of the United States. I'm going to get behind that boy's dream. Now, if my, my son came to my, 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 my family, he's like, I had a dream, I'm going to be the president of the United States, everyone should immediately start listening to what I have to say. We're going to have problems in the Matthews household. But Joseph had dreams. He had these big dreams. And he shares them with his family, and it sounded like the brothers already kind of just didn't like him. And then it says that they didn't like him all the more. And then he has another big dream, and he shares it with them. And they didn't like it. And so he's having these great dreams. And it's great to have dreams for yourself. We're all called to do great things and be an absolute shining representation of Jesus on earth. And so here's Joseph, and he's having these great dreams. But then here's Pharaoh, who's the most powerful human being at this point on the earth, and Pharaoh's having dreams too. And Pharaoh's having dreams for his people. And what I want you to catch before we get too far into this morning is it's not one or the other. It wasn't that Joseph had to say, okay, either I serve his or I serve mine. You need to get this. When we begin to realize that our dreams are actually connected to the dreams of those that are around us, we begin to think like heaven. And when we begin to think like heaven, we begin to have heavenly results. When we begin to realize my dreams are connected to someone else's, it changes the way we operate. And Joseph didn't come in with this with some mindset of, well, but I have a dream. I don't serve your dream. (laughs) So let's back it up just a little bit. Joseph's family's not real thrilled. 
Um, they actually just sell him. It's pretty rough. I don't know how many of you have family issues, but that's probably worse than yours. Um, they just hit the end of their, they hit the end of their, like, I'm done with Joseph. Let's just sell him. <laughs> it's bad, man. That's pretty rough. You haven't had a rough day until you, you, I mean, your family's just like, you're out. And so they kicked him out. And what happens? He begins to get, and I don't have time to go through the whole story. I encourage you to read it all. It's such a phenomenal story. But he begins to go through this wilderness process. And, and the wilderness is, I'm telling you, the wilderness is not something to be feared. The wilderness is typically something that works things from here into here. He went, if, if, if he had never started into the wilderness process, he would never have ended up seeing his dream fulfilled. He had to go through the wilderness process. Nobody enjoys the wilderness process. I'm not telling you that I enjoy the wilderness, but I know there's a purpose. And I know that if, when I know there's a purpose, I'll get through it. I will set my eyes on something and I will go for it. And there is a purpose for why we go through wilderness seasons, but it's not punishment. Can we get that right off the top? The wilderness is not punishment. I often hear people like, I'm in the wilderness, and then you get this feel from some folks who are like, well, did you do something wrong? Jesus went through the wilderness. I hate to tell you, if he went through it, you're probably going to have to go through it too. And he was without sin. And he went straight into the wilderness. The wilderness is a journey of reducing you to strength. I want you to understand that it's not about reducing you so you can fail. It's about reducing you to a place of strength. Remember, remember Gideon's army? <laughs> remember, remember the wild, you know, he had to like take this big army and bring it down to a small army. And they had to do all this weird stuff, like drink water like a dog out of the stream, and you know. And at the end, what happened? He was not reduced to weakness. He was reduced to strength. Sometimes we have to go through processes that will not reduce us to a place of weakness, but it actually reduces us to a place of strength. I don't know how many of you cook, but sometimes when you reduce something, how many of you know that it becomes very potent and strong? You could have had this much when you started and you reduced it down and now the smallest amount is powerful. It's not something to be feared. And if Joseph hadn't gone through it, he would never have been able to step into what God was calling him in to do. Jesus, if he hadn't gone through it, remember when Jesus was baptized, awesome moment. He comes to John. John thinks that Jesus is going to baptize him. And he's like, I can't baptize you. And he baptizes him. Heavens are ripped open. And then what happens? He is straight into the wilderness. Okay. How many of you often feel like what we understand at least for me sometimes I go to a conference and we have this major breakthrough and you're coming out like yeah you're like we made it anybody know what I'm talking about you're on the top of the mountain those 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 moments where you're like yeah we're on top of the mountain and then like the last thing you see coming is straight into the wilderness like wait I thought we won I thought we'd taken the, yeah, we did it. 
and into the wilderness. And then what happens? You can actually be the one that completely pulls the rug out from underneath yourself when you begin to question things like, well, what did I do wrong to get myself here? What did I do to get myself in this position? And I actually, begin, if I'm not careful, begin to partner in my thought life with the enemy and take what God meant for good, and then he gets to come in and take it and use it for bad. Jesus went into the wilderness. He went into the wilderness with the potential of power. Holy Spirit came on him, but the Bible says that when he came out of the wilderness, he was in the power of the Holy Spirit. He had to go through the process. Are you with me? <laughs> For sake of time, I'm not going to hit all this. I've I've had I've had some of these moments. I'm sure you guys have as well. Where I remember for me, we went through some tough stuff at the end of last year, and we came out of the uh, conference last year. Amazing conference, Reformers Gathering, 2018, and uh, we had this big word. And Bill Vanderbush stood up here and gave us his prophetic word over Tiffany and I. I've got it on my phone. I save it. I listen to it all the time. You should do that, by the way. When God gives you a word, go back to it often. Amen. Go back to it often. I, I constantly, I'll keep it on my phone. I'll write it down. I'll have it in my notes. I'll email it to myself. And we had this big moment where Bill's like, John and Tiffany. He's like, God, you have paid a price for this. And yada, yada. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. We've made it. Before the conference was even over. No, I take that back. It was the end of the conference. Something happened in our life that was major that we had to walk through. We hadn't even gotten 48 hours from the word. Like, usually like a week is nice. Give me like a week, just enjoy it, you know? And like, oh, that's good, thank you, Jesus. But I mean, we were like straight out of it, straight into this process. And you can go into that, and what do you begin to think? Well, maybe it wasn't the Lord. Maybe it was just Bill just hyping up people I'm serious these are the things that we can think these are what I can think maybe that was just Bill just being kind because I he hasn't gotten his honorarium yet I don't know you know like you can think whatever you want to think but you know you begin to think is it even is it real is it not and it begin to challenge things and you begin to go through this process in your head and it's not and you can actually get yourself into a mess when God was like oh I'm so proud of you now we're going to take you through this little process because what we're going to take is this awesome word we have and we're going to reduce this thing to power. But you can go in and be like, you know, no, I don't want that. Joseph, Joseph had to go through it. Jesus had to go through it. I have to go through it. You have to go through it. It's part of seeing dreams fulfilled. You can't see dreams fulfilled without it. Why? Because it's the process of taking what is potential and developing it into reality. Jesus had the potential of power. The wilderness developed it into the reality of he came out with power. It takes potential and develops it. Prophetic ministry is not a guarantee. This will rock some of you. Some people, you know, just because someone gives you a word doesn't mean wham, bam, got it. It's an invitation into something. If that was the case, we could just prophesy over people all day and, and the world would be perfect because I'll just prophesy it into you. But there's this little thing called you 
that has to partner with a prophetic word. When I say prophetic word, what do I mean? Because some of you, that's unfamiliar language to you. Okay, you are here. This is now. Jesus, how many of you know, is always looking out for you. And he's looking ahead of you saying, okay, I got great things for you. I got really good stuff for you. I need to give you something because I can tell you're needing something right now. I need to give you a word to help you get from here to here. Okay, so that's when someone comes along and you're like, you're here and someone says, I just got a word for you. I don't know if this makes any sense. And they share it. You're like, (gasps) and you feel life come into you. And you've got two options at that point. You can just, just sit here or you can say, that's what I needed. Let's start moving. Let's start moving. But words from the Lord are invitations into what God is inviting you into. He's inviting you into something great. And when Jesus went into the wilderness, so often we look at three of the things he was tempted with, and we miss the most obvious right in front of us. When he was baptized, the father said over him, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Awesome moment because Jesus hadn't done anything at that point. You do realize his ministry had not begun. And what a great father to look at him and say, I love you. You are doing so good. But he hasn't done anything. Exactly. Because I love him for who he is, not what he's doing for me. I love him. Good job, son. You are my son. Wilderness. If you're the son of God. If. Three times. If. The enemy tried to come and to challenge him on identity. The first thing he will always challenge you on in the wilderness is your identity. He will always go after what the Lord has said after, over you. He's been doing, I mean, honestly, if we were to just strip it back, he's been using the same tactics for a really long time. He has, you do realize the, the enemy has nothing new because he can't create. <laughs> we're going to try that one again. This will set you free. The enemy can't create because creativity is a power he doesn't contain. You all, every person in this room who is in Christ has a creative power within you. Because you are created like him. Enemy can't create. All he can do is duplicate, replicate. That's all he can do. He's not that powerful. He's just got a big mouth. A really big mouth. But he can't create a new tactic. He doesn't have that ability. He's been using the same one for a very long time. Oh, Eve. Well, hey, Eve. Hey, Adam. You know, if you want to be like God, why don't you eat from that tree? Whoa, what a mistake because God already created them and said, hey, you're just like me. They were, all crea- they were already created in the image of him. So then why eat from the tree if you're already like him? Because the enemy convinced Eve that she's someone that she wasn't. I love it when people actually get this and we, I don't think we've quite hit it yet. But we're getting there. You are created in his image. You, when the enemy came to Eve and said, hey, eat this, the, the biggest mistake was when she believed the lie in her own heart that said, well, I'm not like God. When God created her and said, you're created in my image. You're just like me. Wow. 
And he comes to you when you're in the wilderness when his purpose is to strengthen you. And the enemy comes to you and says, he comes to you and says, you're not like God. Yeah, those words over your life, they're not true. What's my point? Sometimes the dream you have needs to go through the wilderness to bring it into becoming reality. There's a process. We don't have to read it, but Job, Job chapter 42 has a, this breathtaking verse that says, I, it says that my ears had heard, but now my eyes have seen. What does it mean? As Job's saying, I thought I knew what I was talking about. Anybody ever had that moment? Anyone that's a parent has. <laughs> I thought I knew what I was talking about. I thought I knew what raising kids was like. And then I had them. Mm, wrong. <laughs> Job is saying, listen, I thought I knew this. I thought I knew. But my ears had heard, but my eyes hadn't seen. Joseph has this major dream. And he wants to tell his family about it, and they kick him out. I do find it interesting that his whole family was into dream interpretation. I'm serious. Nobody did a class on it back then. And they all immediately knew and interpreted his dreams. The whole family were dream interpreters. Genesis chapter 40, and we're going we're gonna to have to skip a lot of stuff. So Joseph's been through some stuff now. Joseph had this thing over his life that he couldn't get away from. It's called favor. It may not look like it, but you've got to get to the end of the story. Everywhere that he went down, he made it back up. He was serving Potiphar, and then he was at Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife got the hots for Joseph, and he's like, this is going to end up bad. And she tried to hook up with Joseph, and he's like, I'm out of here. He ran out of the house. She kept his cloak, and then she accused him of taking advantage of her. I'm giving you the, the quick version here. And so next thing you know, here's Joseph. He's went from being sold to serving with Potiphar to getting thrown in prison. And that's where we're going to pick up, because now he's in prison. And let's, let's, let's remember this. He's in prison for the, for the dream God gave him. If you were to take this back to the very beginning... It started with the dream. And here we are, Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. He's talking to the cupbearer and the baker. And they said, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? <laughs> and then he says this, tell me your dreams. <sighs> That's a powerful statement. You have to get the fullness of the context of this moment. He is sitting in prison because of a dream. And someone else has a dream. And he says, tell me your dream. I'll interpret your dream while I'm sitting here in prison for my dream. Oh, I just got goosebumps. That's powerful. He said, just tell me your dream. I believe that that is the key. That is the key 
to seeing culture and our communities transformed. The key is to be able to say to people, tell me your dreams. Without the hook of, well, you know, if you come on a Sunday morning and do this and this, my pastor, no, 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 no hook. No hook. Tell me your dreams. How can, wow, that's a good dream. Can I just pray over you and just encourage you into that dream? Like just, just bless you in that dream. It will change society. And it will lead you into your dreams. The interesting thing about Joseph is that his ability to step into the fullness of his dream was completely reliant upon him being able to serve someone else's dream. So what happens? Pharaoh tells him his dream, chapter 41. If you're writing down the passages, it's really long. So chapter 41, Pharaoh tells him his dream. It's a really, it's a really crazy dream. Fat calves, skinny calves. Definitely dreaming. He definitely had that grace. Like, and he's like, okay, here's what it looks like. And he interprets, because the, these two, the cupbearer and the baker, went and told Pharaoh, we know a guy that does dreams. And so then Pharaoh has a dream, and he says, bring that guy to me. And he tells him his dream, and what happens? He interprets his dream, and here's the cool part. Joseph makes Pharaoh look like a genius. He gives him a whole strategy. You need to do this. You need to do this. There's going to be famine. You need to set food aside. You need to do this. He didn't say, okay, now if I'm going to tell you this, I want my name on the announcement when you tell everybody because this was my idea. So I'm getting royalties off of this and this and this. No, he's like, he served his dream. And he made Pharaoh look like a genius. He gave him his interpretation. And what happened? It changed everything. They were prepared. Famine hit. So what happens? Pharaoh likes a guy that makes him look like a genius. He said, this is the kind of guy I want around me. No agenda. This guy, this guy is the guy I want around me. And so what happened in the process of making Pharaoh's dream a reality, it begins to step Joseph into his dreams. And he begins to walk into his dreams. Why? Because he served Pharaoh's dream. Leave it to God <laughs> to take the dream that he has given to you and connect it to the dream of a king. <laughs> I said leave it to God to take the dreams that he's given you and connect them to the dream of a king. I believe that there's a grace on this revelation, whatever you want to call it, I believe there's a grace on this to destroy walls between churches and businesses. I mean it. When the, the church feels like, and the business realm feels like, I want to hear what they have to say. They have wisdom. I, I want to see the point where royalty, royalty what it looks like in today, let's call it the presidents of companies, the people that are there, they're kings and queens of our society say, I need to go speak to someone about this because I need an interpretation for this. What would that look like? What would it look like if you started getting phone calls? Joseph wasn't trained to be Pharaoh. He didn't go to Pharaoh school. (laughs) 
he, he, got, he just was a dude out working in the field and had some dreams, told his family, threw him in the prison, sold him, went through his little journey, interpreted a dream. Why? All because of one thing he was able to say. In the face of just heartbreak, sitting in a prison, he could look at someone else and say, tell me your dream. Because if he'd never been able to do that, he would never have sat before Pharaoh. Man, I'm so moved in my spirit right now. Like, I, I, I just, I see it. I see what God wants to do. I see the connection between business and, and, and I call it the church or whatever you want to call it, but I see the connections where you have people that can just speak into it and say, oh, I see this over you. I see this for your company. Do this, this, and this. And wow, it works. And you know what? Any, and I don't know why this is taking a turn for business. That's just what I'm feeling. Any good businessman is going to want to know what your secret is. How do you get that stuff? Well, now that you ask, I have this person that guides me. <laughs> and you know what? When you have a rough day, they'll comfort you too. And when you have conflict in your business, they can bring peace to that. When you don't know answers, they're phenomenal at hashing out answers. Who? <laughs> then you get your moment. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. That's my point. To be able to serve the dreams of others. It opens us up to our dreams. I'm going to wrap this up. I do believe that we're in a town filled with kings and queens. I mean that. Your community is filled with them. And we are called to be suppliers. We are called to supply. God will provide. Joseph found himself. Where does Joseph's dream end? Read the end of the story. It's really kind of funny, actually. But he ends up in charge of everything. He puts him in charge of everything. He says, I like this guy. So I'm going to let him run everything for me. And then remember, remember those brothers that sold him? Guess who needed food? And guess who came and didn't even notice their brother? And guess who was bowing down? I bet it didn't come how he thought it'd come. I don't think you'll ever talk to a dreamer that has stepped into some of their dreams fulfilled and not probably one of them will ever say, you know what, this played out exactly like I thought it would. <laughs> I have never met one. I don't know if I've ever had a big dream that I, I've had the privilege of stepping into it and said, it was just like I thought. Whatever, man. <laughs> it's usually like, that was nothing like I thought it was going to work out, but we're here. We're here. <laughs> I, I think that if I could say this humbly, I think that our approach for too long has, has been how does the church take charge of community, politics, our city, and take over, opposed to how does the church serve? That's the social media buzz is like usually how does the church take over these areas? 
I believe we're called to have great influence. Don't mix the two up. I do believe we're called to have great influence in different areas of society, but I don't feel like we're called to come in and just dominate. Because the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. I feel like we're in a season of um, I preached this because I felt like the Lord had me just bring it I, I did share this the second time it was the first time I shared it to the church but I shared it at the conference and at the end of that session we had a massive ministry time that actually took place that morning I did not see that coming and we had some amazing stuff that happened and I feel like there's a grace on this because I feel like everyone in this room has a dream everyone even if you don't know it you have one and I feel like as we can begin to wrap our hearts around how do I serve the dream of someone else, whoever that person is that God puts in your life, there's a connection to what you have on your heart. But can we let go of the either-or mentality? Well, it's either I get mine or I serve yours. Wrong. That's not kingdom. He cares about you too much. But I do believe that there's people in here that, one, I, I don't know everybody in this room, but I feel like there's some businessmen I don't, and women, and I, I, I feel that because that's maybe they're watching too on the stream because I felt that grace to go that direction, which was not where I thought we'd go. And I also believe that there's some Josephs in the room that are going to carry the wisdom that people need to hear, not for promotion, but to serve that dream. And don't be afraid of promotion, though. <laughs> that's another sermon but it's okay to be promoted and be a believer don't think that humility means you have nothing humility means you know the source of where it came from a lot of people think that humility is just we can disguise lack as humility God wants you blessed Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand up. We're going to pray. We're going to open up for a time of prayer at the end. Thank you guys for sticking with me. Okay. I would just love to see us come into a season of breakthrough and dreams where things that people have been carrying for a really long time just begin to just happen. Sometimes just movement is good. Even if the movement is a process, it means he's taking you towards the dream. So, movement's good too. So I'm going to pray over a couple different groups of people this morning, and then after that I'll call up the prayer team, and if you need specific prayer, you can come up for that. But Lord, I thank you for what you've spoken this morning. I thank you for... I thank you for... That, that you have, you're such a good dad. You've called us to have these big dreams. Like, like you, you, you're a good dad that, uh, you haven't just called us to have them, you've given them to us. You, you are handing out these beautiful dreams to your children. And the room is filled with people with dreams. Some of you might be ministry related, some of you might be business related, or some of you might be both. 
But he's given you these dreams. And the first thing I think we need to do before we can go any farther is just recognize that (laughs) it's okay for me to have dreams. So I speak over everyone in this room right now and I break off whatever ideas might have been put on your, uh, in your mind, on your shoulders that says that, you know, um, God hasn't called you to have big dreams. I just tell that thinking to go. Just go. Just go. He's called you to big dreams. And so I stir up those dreams in you and I pray over the, the those of you that are going to have a a real strong, we'll call it just a Joseph anointing where you're actually going to be called on by people of great influence because of the character and the heart that you have to serve someone else's dream. I pray that the favor that Joseph had would rest on you right now. That favor that even sitting in a prison, he was highlighted. He's the guy I want to tell my dreams to. I don't know about you, but if I was sitting in prison, that probably wouldn't be the first thing I think of everybody is I want to tell someone in prison my dreams. But Joseph was highlighted. And they said, I want to tell him my dreams. I pray over over you this morning that some of you, the Lord is going to take you through a process. It's okay. Don't be afraid of it. I pray that your mind would be surrounded by angels, that you wouldn't allow yourself to lean into lies that the enemy tries to come with. And especially when he attacks your identity. I just encourage you and I exhort you, stand firm on the stuff that God has spoken to you. Stand firm. I pray over you this morning, those of you that are uh, business men and women, I pray that you would step into the royalty in the business world that God has called you to be. And his hand of favor and grace would be upon you. And you would have unique ideas and there would be unique relationships that advance the kingdom. I bless you. For those of you that are tired, you've been in the wilderness for a little while. I speak refreshing over you. Don't believe the lie that you have to be miserable in the wilderness. (laughs) That is such a lie. You can be filled with joy while in the wilderness. I release the joy of the Lord over you. I release his refreshing over you. I release just a renewal over your heart, your mind, your soul. As As you see the process he's bringing you through. And Lord, we ask for some of those folks, Father, let's begin to bring them into their promises. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you pray one thing and then I'm going to hand it off. There's this legal prayer that we've been given the okay to do because we saw Mary do it. Mary, when Jesus did his first miracle, he told her it's not time. I love how Mary said, uh, you know what? She looks at his disciples, says, just do what he says. There's something in Mary that was like, I don't know what it is, but here's what I think it is. Here is a lady now that has known since the birth of this baby boy the call on his life. She has watched him grow up. 
and she has waited, and she has waited, and she has waited. And what better time than at a wedding for my baby boy to start showing who he really is? And so she says, Jesus, they're out of wine. Can you take care of that? And he says, nope, it's not my time yet. And she says, all right, good, do what he says. <laughs> now, for, <laughs> I don't know what happened. All I know is that something happened in that moment, and Jesus did it. I wish I could give you a really great theology for that, but I can't. All I know is that if she can do it, I have the right to pray the same prayer. Which means if there's something that you've been waiting on, you have the right to come before Jesus and ask him to bring it into now. Because Mary did it. So, that being said, Lord, the things that you put in our heart that we've been waiting on, we declare that we're coming into the season now. And we're asking you to release the fullness of your kingdom. The fullness of your kingdom. The fullness of the words that you put in our heart. The fullness of the calling on the people in this room. The fullness of the calling on this church, Lord. We ask that you would release it now. And that you would give us wisdom and strength and guide us how to steward what you've called us into. Because, Father, we want to be a good representation of you. And, Father, I ask that those that have been waiting, that now would be the time. Now would be the time. Now would be the time. Just as Mary said, now is a great time. Now is a great time. We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name.